CWCCS podcast with Bible teaching from Pastor Al Pittman. In today's study in the book of Acts, we talk about Saul's conversion to Paul as found in Acts chapter 21. And Pastor Al zooms in on the four attributes of true transformation. Before we get to that, do you have questions about what's next on the prophetic timeline? Pastor Al's new book has the answers. Where are we on God's prophetic calendar? Listen to Pastor Al Pittman. This is where we are right now. We're waiting for him to come back for his bride. Here is what Jim Daly from Focus on the Family said about Pastor Al's new book, Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter. Al Pittman has written this commentary to unpack the end of the story. We're all looking for this great day. That great day, the culmination of human history, the expectation and the rejoicing of all the saints of God. Order your copy of Pastor Al's Revelation book where you buy books online or at cwccs.org. Here's the deal, people. Get ready. Jesus is coming back for his bride. And the bride needs to be ready. You will be challenged and encouraged. Therefore, no matter what you're going through today, comfort one another with these words. From the in-depth teaching on the book of Revelation, learn more about Pastor Al's latest book at cwccs.org. Now, here's today's message. I've entitled this message, A Time to Testify. And then as soon as I t- titled it that, I started thinking of the old song, I just want to testify in with the love. You know, you don't remember that. All right, anyway. But it is a time to testify. Last week in our text, we saw a riot break out over a supposition. We talked about that word last week concerning the Apostle Paul. Things that people supposed about him that were rumors and gossip. However, despite the chaos, Paul's testimony could not be silenced. And Today, there are forces even working in our society, to silence politically dissenting voices. I might add that those same forces, these same forces will soon come for the church. Reports are starting already to come forth of pastors being sued and all. But as with Paul, if God is for you, Who can be against you? God is in control. So God took, despite this riot, God took what Satan meant for evil and used it to give voice to Paul's testimony. I believe he's going to do that today at the church. That despite some of the persecution we might experience, is going to give voice to the testimony of the church. My prayer is that this message will encourage you to no longer be silent, but to tell the story to God's glory. Verse 37 of Acts chapter 21, we're going to read down to chapter 22, verse 2, as we take it a section at a time. The Bible says in verse 37 of Acts chapter 21, then as Paul was about To be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? The commander of the Roman garrison there on the, uh, near the temple, 
had to come and rescue Paul, and they had to carry him through the crowd because the people wanted to kill him. And they're going up the steps to the barracks where he could be, Paul would be safe. He said, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? Uh, they thought that he was this Egyptian that started a rebellion and against Rome, Roman authority there in Jerusalem. And, um, you know, the Bible is a spiritual book, but it's also a historical book. And people like to say, oh, you know, it's made up by man. But you know what? Josephus, the Jewish historian, even talks about this uh, Egyptian uh, rebel. And um, that in A.D. 54, uh, he got his group together, his followers together, went to the top of Mount, the Mount of Olives, and which is right there in Jerusalem, and declared by his command that the walls of Jerusalem would collapse. And, of course, they did not. And the Romans dispatched uh, soldiers to, uh, uh, to, uh, against him. And uh, they killed a bunch of his followers and um, captured some of them. But many of them escaped, including their leaders. So the Roman uh, commander here thinks that maybe you know, Paul is this Egyptian you know, rebel that uh, everyone's been looking for. This wanted man. But Paul says, I don't fit the description, verse 39. <laughs> and Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a, city of no, uh, a, a citizen of no mean city. Now, the new, new King James Version says no mean city. Yours may, uh, version may have a different meaning there. But it simply means, uh, or a different phrase there, but it simply means uh, I'm, I'm from a prominent city. Uh, Tarsus was a prominent city about 10 to 12 miles uh, from the Mediterranean coast in what is today modern-day southeastern Turkey. He said, I'm from Tarsus. I'm not this Egyptian guy you're looking for. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, verse chapter 22, verse 1, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Hebrew language is the Jewish language. And Paul could speak several languages. And uh, he spoke to them in Hebrew. Now, he, Paul being a great communicator, you know, commanded their attention by speaking in their language, which is a great a uh, lesson for us when we're sharing the gospel is to share it at a level that people can understand. You don't have to, that doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, like, you know, grandma has to, you know, learn how to speak like a gangbanger to reach gangbangers. Say, man, I mean, I just leave you with that visual grandma trying to, you know, yo, what's up? You know, no, you don't have to do that. By speaking in the Hebrew language, Paul was basically saying, and this is what they were responding to, is that I care about you. I'm speaking to you in your language. We may not know Hebrew. We may not be able to flash gang signs, so to speak. But there is a language which is universal that causes the lost in the world to stop and to listen. And it's the language of love. Doesn't matter what kind of articulation you have or what your education is or whatever, the world 
the whole world understands what love sounds like. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, speaking the truth. We should never compromise the truth, but speaking the truth in love. May God help us in this age where there's so much vitriol and hate speech. May God help us to share the gospel with the unmistakable tone of love. To further identify with his audience, Paul continues here in verse 2 and 3. He says in in verse 2, it says, then he said, the latter part of verse 2, then he said, uh, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law. And was zealous toward God as you all are today. They were zealous for the Lord, but zeal without knowledge. Like a lot of, you know, those who practice Islam, you know, suicide bombers and all. They're zealous for God, but (laughs) not a lot of knowledge. Zeal without knowledge is not good. So they were zealous. And Paul says, I was zealous like you. Of course, until he came to Christ. But he gains their attention even furthermore by mentioning a man by the name of Gamaliel. Meliel was a highly respected teacher of the, of the Jewish law, Jewish religious law. And he's also mentioned, some of you may remember him, from Acts chapter 5. Uh, when the Sanhedrin wanted to kill the disciples. Because <laughs> the disciples were preaching in Jesus' name. And Gamaliel kind of calmed everybody down by saying, listen, you know. If this thing is just another fluke, it's going to pass. Why get your panties in a bunch? Amen. He didn't say it's not, you won't find panties in a bunch in scripture, but that's what he's basically saying. <laughs> Why get so upset if this is just a fluke? Which causes me, to, Paul, you know, to, to think about the world's response to Christianity even today. If, if this is just Christianity is not real and God is not real and Jesus Christ was never here and all the things you atheists or whatever or anti-Christ people are, are, are pontificating and spouting, then why worry about God being mentioned in the church or in school or, or, or someone bringing a Bible to work? Why, why worry about those things if it's just a fluke? Why do you got to pass legislation and laws and, you know, all that? Gamaliel went on to say, you know, if it's just a man, it's just going to be like all the other things. It's going to pass away. It's not a big deal. But he went on to say this, and I quote from Acts chapter 5, verse 39. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they did not overthrow it. And 2,000 years later, the kingdom of God is on the move. Amen? Thank God. I think Amaliel got his answer. In verse 4, Paul begins his testimony in earnest. And there are three components of his testimony which are found in every conversion story. There's a past, what I used to be. There's an encounter, encounter Jesus. And there's a point of transformation. My life forever has been changed. I've spoken with people from time to time who have said, and I say, well, what's your conversion story? Oh, well, I've always known God. 
I call that sort of reasoning phantom faith. The belief that something is there when it is not. There must be a conversion experience. In the medical field, there's something called phantom limb syndrome. When someone has a hand or a foot or a leg amputated, your mind tells you that it's there and it's not. I think a lot of people within the church suffer from spiritual phantom faith syndrome. When Jesus said to to a religious leader, actually Nicodemus, who was suffering from phantom faith, he said, you must be born again. There must be a conversion experience. The Lord also warned us, those who possess what I call a phantom faith, that on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, he will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We were part of the, the movement. We, we went to church. We were part of that group. We went to Calvary Worship Center. I never knew you. Depart from me. You can't get to heaven on phantom faith. You must be born again. There must be an experience A testimony of your past, your encounter with Jesus, and transformation. All three of these we find in Paul's testimony. Paul begins with his past. Verses 4 and 5. He says, I persecuted this way. He's talking about the way. He's talking about what Christians were called before they were called Christians in Antioch. In Acts chapter 11, verse 29, we were called, those who believed in Christ, people of the way. Because we were in the way. Amen. Amen. (laughs) But they were called people of the way. So I persecuted this way. To the death. He killed people. Binding and delivering into the prison both men and women. As also the high priest bears me witness in all the counsel of the elders for whom I also received letters to the brethren. He says, you know what, there are witnesses here. Some of you, 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 you guys know me. The high priest, uh, you know, some of the, the counsel from the Sanhedrin, the religious council. You guys know me. You gave me letters, permission to go do these things. And he says, and I went to Damascus to bring in chains, to bring in chains, even those those." who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. He went to go get Christians as far as Damascus and bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. This was Paul's former life. This was his past. But he's not doing that now. If there is no difference between our life today and our past life, there's something seriously wrong. If I can look at my past life and look at my life today and I call myself a Christian, there's no difference. Something is seriously wrong with your theology or, if you're a Christian, your neology. You're not spending time on your knees with the Lord. You're not spending time in his presence because the Bible says that we behold Jesus, we are transformed from glory to glory. 
Transformation comes in his presence, not in a church service. As we individually spend time in the Lord's presence, we are changed. We are sanctified. We become more like Jesus. John warns us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, and this is as a lifestyle. You walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John says, you lie. He calls us liars. The remedy for both the unbeliever and the believer is repentance. Repentance is heading to Denver. While you're heading south to Pueblo and realize you're going in the wrong direction, repentance simply means turn around and head north. Amen. Repentance, that's what it is. It means my life has been turned around. I'm no longer going the way of my past. John doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us the remedy in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. We're not. He is. To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, not just some, all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? Thank God. Next, Paul goes on here to talk about his personal encounter with Christ. Talked about his past. I was like you. I was zealous like you for God. was zeal without knowledge. But something changed. And he describes his personal encounter with Christ in verses 6 to 9. He says in verse 6, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid. But they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. And stop right there. Talking about his conversion experience, his encounter here with Jesus Christ. An encounter. When you truly encounter the love of God, you'll never be the same. When God's love is truly, you've truly encountered the fact that you deserve judgment, but he has given you mercy. You experience this love. You can never be and you will never be the same. Notice this encounter that Paul experienced was not in a church. <laughs> and of course, they didn't have church buildings. They didn't, Christians were meeting, but it wasn't in a church building, which, you know, just highlights the very fact that God will meet you wherever you are. He was on his way to Damascus and the Lord met him on his journey. You know, God will show up in a strip club. You can run, but you can't hide. David said, if I make my bed in hell, Lord, you're there. I said that, and some people look at me like, well, I can't believe he said. And I had a brother come up to me at the first service and says, hey, Pastor Al, that's true. (laughs) Oh, really? 
hmm. But, uh, but he was relating a story. He said, no, I wasn't a strip club. He said, but I was, when he got saved many, many years ago, he said, you know what? I was uh, with a bunch of guys. I was sitting in the car, and everybody's drinking and partying and carrying on. And there was one guy that was, he was partying and doing everything else everybody else was doing. But he knew enough of the Bible that he was sharing the word of God with me, even though he was, you know, involved in all kinds of stuff himself. And he said the word of God touched him. And right in that midst of that situation, you know, it's where he came to Christ. In that situation, it was the Lord was drawing him in the midst of God will knock you off a bar stool. God will meet you in the parking lot of the strip club. Amen. And that word grandmama gave to you a long time ago will come back to you and haunt you. Amen. You can run, but you cannot hide. I don't care where your journey is, how fast you can run or anything else. God will seek you out. Paul is on his journey. He thinks he's doing the right thing. There's a lot of people out there right now. They think they're right, but they're wrong. And Paul thought he was right. He was so, so right that he would kill people for it. God met him on his journey. Has God met you on your journey? You're doing your thing. Well, God interrupt your thing and meet you on your journey. Amen? So Paul has an encounter. He thought he was going the right way. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but his end is the way of death. Lord Jesus said to Paul, he saw the light. He heard the voice. Why are you persecuting me? Well, man, he's not persecuting Jesus. He's persecuting the followers of Jesus. No. He said, why are you persecuting me? Because when you touch the church, you touch the Lord. We are the body of Christ. You touch his church, you touch his body. Why are you persecuting me? And we need to be reminded that the Lord, for those who touch the church and try to destroy the church, that Jesus is also the avenger of the church. And a day of reckoning is coming. In verse 9, I want to point out something here that I see a contrast between those who have a true encounter with Christ and those who just merely have religion. There were those on the road with Paul who just saw the light. But Paul not only saw the light, he heard and he received the voice that is the word of God. When Jesus spoke to him. First John chapter 2 verses 18 and 19 says this. that It says, little children, it is the last hour. John's writing this in his day and time, and he's saying this is the, these are the end times. And from the time Christ ascended into heaven, the clock has been ticking. He's coming back soon. And we are actually living even today, today, back in the time of John, even today, in the last hour. He says, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Amen. We see them in our government. We see Antichrist laws being passed. Restrictions. He says, by which we know that it is the last hour. How do we know it's the end times, Pastor Al? Look at the growing increase of the spirit of Antichrist in America and around the world. Our brothers and sisters being persecuted, you know, and slaughtered in places like Africa and all just for their faith in Christ. Persecution is not subsiding, my friend, it is increasing. 
We know it is the last hour by the very fact that persecution is on the rise. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Do you follow what he's saying? Follow the bouncing ball? (laughs) Old timers know what that means. (laughs) Follow what he's saying. They went out from us because they were never of us. I believe COVID-19 has been a pruning hook in the hand of God. And a lot of believers are no longer following, so-called believers are no longer following Christ. But they went out from us that it might be manifested that they were never of us in the first place. Let the Holy Spirit, sick the Holy Spirit on people. But don't you spend your time, waste your time chasing folks down. Let the Lord convict their hearts. He'll leave the 99 for the one who has wandered. But there are a lot of people who've gone away from the church who were never born again in the first place. And they went out from us that it might be manifested that they were never really of us. So there are those, my point is that there are those who love the light. Those who are with Paul and they saw the light. But they did not hear the voice. They did not obey the word. There are those who love the light. They love coming to church. They love the personality of the pastor or the songs we sing, uh, personality of the worship leader or the traditions of the church. They love all this stuff. They love to, as the saying goes, do church. They like to come to church and, and have things just so. And sometimes, you know, I think people have to be careful. Are you coming to church for the culture or are you coming to church for Christ? And there's a big difference. You know, well, you don't have a choir. Well, are you coming to church for the word or are you coming for the choir? And a lot of people go to church for culture, but not for Christ. They love the light. It makes them feel good. The light may make you feel warm inside, give you a warm, fuzzy feeling, but the light will never eradicate your feeling of judgment by God. You'll still walk in this, with this impending sense of, of judgment in your life with fear. So there were those who were with Paul who saw the light, but they were afraid. But not Paul. Because he heard the voice. And he responded to the voice. He had an encounter. First John chapter four, verse uh, chapter four, verse eighteen and nineteen says, "There is no fear in love." Paul had an encounter with God's love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. God doesn't want you living tormented under judgment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You haven't had an encounter with the love of God. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. While I was still cussing him, cursing him to his face. While I was living my own, doing my own thing and rebelling against God. He first loved me. It's not that I first loved him. We love him as a response to his love toward us. Because of our encounter with him, I love him because he loved me when I was loveless, unlovable. God loved me. That's why we love him. Amen. (laughs) 
And only the love of Jesus can cause fear to be eradicated from our lives. I know sometimes we're tempted to walk in fear. Things happen in life that frighten us and all that. God knows that, you know, we need to be comforted and, and reminded of his truth. But that fear of judgment is gone. There is now, Romans 8, 1, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Paul had an encounter. So he talked about his past. He testified about his encounter. And now, lastly, he's testifying about his own personal transformation. Verse 10. We begin reading. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed to you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good reputation, a good testimony, with all the Jews who dwelt, who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will by you will be rather his witness to all men of what you have heard or seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. And wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Transformation. Here we find in those verses four attributes, I call them, of a transformed life. Number one, there's personal obedience. Remember when you first came to Christ, how obedience was like that. Remember when it was like, man, is the church open today? You know, you were there all the time, obedient. God spoke to your heart. I remember one time uh, driving in my car, and some lady was crossing the street. I don't even know what the deal was. And she yelled at me or something. And as I was driving, I was still driving, uh, I gave her the salute. <laughs> now, I'm a Christian. Brand new Christian. Immediately conviction came on my heart. Immediately. I said, Lord, forgive me. There was immediate obedience. And then we get older and the Lord is like, well, we're negotiating with God. Well, you know, I, they really hurt me or I got a reason and whatever. No, it was none of that in the beginning. Immediate obedience. It was evidence of our transformation in the Lord. Paul obeys. Lord, what do you want me to do? Go to Damascus. Oh, okay. He didn't push back like, well, well what's going to happen when I get there? He didn't. No, he just obeyed. Wow. Childlike faith. But not only did Paul obey because he's transformed, Ananias obeyed because he was transformed too. If you read the story in Acts chapter 9 where God spoke to Ananias and said, I want you to go and lay hands on Saul because I've chosen him. You know. Ananias pushed back. Whoa, Saul. You mean that nasty dude that's killing my brothers and sisters in Christ and Put throwing people in prison? That guy? I don't know about that, Lord. You sure? But because Ananias had been transformed, he yielded to the will of the Lord. 
There are certain people God wants you to go to or reach out to that you go, that person, ah, they got a reputation. I don't want to touch that person. God has spoken to your heart. Now, I'm not talking about making up stuff, but people, if God has spoken to your heart to go touch that certain person, you know, and and you're pushing back. Ah, Lord, maybe somebody else will do it. And God has spoken to you to do it. There's something else going on here, too. When you have a two brothers who've been transformed by their encounter with Jesus Christ who desire to obey God healing happens when you have two Christians at odds against each other if both of them seek to obey God there's restoration you have a husband and wife on the verge of divorce they're both claiming to know Jesus If they're walking in obedience, there should be restoration. I didn't say you'd have to work at it, but there should be restoration. How is it that we pray to the same father and come out with two different answers? Somebody's lying on God. Two brothers, Ananias. Saul, who persecuted, killed believers. But because they had an encounter with Jesus, transformed, they both came together. Healing took place, and Paul received the sight. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Paul, I mean, not Paul, John said that, but John loved to call people liars. <laughs> he just, You walk, you know, you're a liar. (laughs) For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Obedience produces healing within the relationship. Amen. The second thing here is evidence or attribute of a transformed life is purpose. Personal purpose, I call it, because all of us have this purpose in the Lord. And in verse 14, there are three things that Ananias said to Paul, that Paul, you know, God would do in Paul's life. He said, you know... God has called you. He's chosen you. What? To know his will. To know the just one. Who's the just one? That's Jesus. And to hear his voice. Now, all those things Paul had experienced. God interrupted his journey that, you know, Paul, uh, of course, uh, was called by God for God's will. uh, That he would see the just one, know the just one. And he heard the voice of Jesus and, and you would hear his voice. He heard the Lord's voice. But you know, those three things are also really assigned to our lives. You know, we wonder, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's my life all about? What's my purpose? Here's your purpose, to know God's will. To know the just one, that is his son, Jesus. And to hear his voice. And that's what we do every Sunday. His voice is written down for us. Amen? amen. To hear his word. That's why, amen, give God praise and glory. Amen?
Now, out of that comes life. Out of that, God directs us. Out of that, we all have our own experiences. I get that. But the three things, the purpose that God has, has left us here for is to know his will, to know the just one, intimacy with Jesus, and to hear his voice. Not the voice of CNN and Fox News and all the rest of that stuff out there. But to hear the voice, his word, be rooted and grounded in his word. That's God's purpose for you and for me. The third attribute that I find here is personal witness. He says in verse 15, God has called you to be a witness of what you have seen and heard, Paul. Not a witness of what Pastor Al said or what you read in the book, but what God has done in your life. That's why I said it's time to testify. Tell your story. What Christ has done for you. None that hasn't happened for me the same way. We've, we've both been converted and we're, we have a testimony, but my testimony is different from yours. But tell your story. The devil wants to keep you silent. But you need to open your mouth and tell your story. What you have seen, you're responsible to be a witness of what you have seen and what you have heard. Nobody can ever take that away from you. They overcame the, the devil, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. That's how they overcame the evil one. The word of your testimony is crucial is the light that God wants us to shine in these dark days. Amen. The fourth attribute we find here is personal faith. I say personal faith because in verse 16, Anna and I said, man, what are you waiting for? Go and be baptized, confessing the name of Jesus. Your sins will be washed away. So Paul had to put feet to his faith. He couldn't just say, oh, that's good information. Thank you for the Bible study. <laughs> he had to get up and do something. He was baptized as an outward sign of an inward work, but what washed his sins away was he was calling on the name of the Lord. His trust was in Christ in the name of the Lord. Scripture says faith without works is dead. So those four attributes we find here in the life of one who has been transformed by the power of God. We move on to verse 17 and read down to verse uh, 21. And the word says, now it happened, Paul says, when I, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, that is Jesus saying to him, make haste to get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue... I imprison and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your servant, your martyr, of, of your martyr, Stephen, was shed, I was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. I want you to stop for a moment there. You see how hardcore Paul was. But read the Bible, go, oh, you know, Paul, okay, Paul came to Christ and Look how hardcore. This guy, man, while they were stoning Stephen, the first martyr of the church, recorded in the, in the book of Acts of the church, Stephen, to death, Paul stood there going, yeah, give it to him. He was guarding the clothes. So people went wrong for people's garments, you know, as they took their jackets off and stuff to pick up rocks so they get a little better leverage to hit Stephen in the head. 
It's an amazing story. We studied it already, but I just thought, you know, it's, it's something. You know, even though Paul was consenting to all of this, but just a miraculous thing happening there when Stephen was being stoned. Because I don't know about you, you throw a rock at me, I'm going to throw one back at you. Amen. And the Apostle Al threw rocks at the, you know, you know. But the Bible says the rocks and stones didn't matter to him because he saw something so excellent and so beautiful that they had no effect upon him, even though his life was fleeing from him. He said, look, I see Jesus standing, not seated, standing at the right hand of the throne of God. The vision was so glorious that the rocks didn't matter. I think that's the way God wants to live our lives here on earth, that our vision of Christ is so glorious that the insults of the people and the persecution and all the rocks that the world throws at us does not matter because I see Jesus standing in authority. And not only did he see the power and the authority, he had the power to love. Even those who were murdering him, you know the story. As he was dying, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin to their charge. Who does that? God, you know, my final words, kill him. <laughs> but the vision had to be so glorious. It didn't matter. People go, you know, are we going to remember people? I'm going to see somebody in heaven that offended me. Like, hey, how you doing? (laughs) The vision of heaven, and when you see Jesus, is going to be so glorious. It won't matter the rocks and stones people have thrown at you in this life. Every tear will be wiped away. Amen? Every tear. In our little peanut brain, finite minds, we can't comprehend that. But there's a vision so glorious that Stephen, the stones didn't matter. And the Bible says he fell asleep. While Paul stood there going, yeah, we won. No, Stephen won. Amen. Amen. He won. But Paul is saying, you know, you know, God called him. And he felt like a failure before his ministry even started. He says, you know, everybody hates me. Amen. It's like a new pastor going to pastor new church. <laughs> you walk in, everybody hates you. Everybody applauds you. Everybody, oh, you're a new pastor. Wait, that's a wonderful pastor. Got to have you over for dinner. You know. <laughs> Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, just like Jesus. And then a week later, crucify him. <laughs> Amen. I don't like some of the things you're doing. Paul felt like a complete failure. And Jesus said, it's all right. They're not going to receive your testimony. The church doesn't believe you. The world doesn't believe your conversion experience. The church says, we're going to embrace this guy, call him brother, you know, like Ananias did. But some of the church, you know, church folks didn't want to embrace Paul. The Lord said, that's all right. That's all right. He tells him in verse 21. Then he said to me, Jesus said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. 
All things work together for good. Nobody would receive Paul in Jerusalem because God had worked for him among the Gentiles. God is in control. Pastor, I lost my job. That's all right. God's got something else for you. He's for you. As I was studying this and just looking at verses 17, 21, I thought, wow. Lord, you knew that Paul was a murderer. He jailed your own people. He abused your church. And yet you still called him? Yeah. Peter was also a failure who denied the Lord. And yet the Lord said, feed my sheep. And what about us? Grace makes for strange bedfellows. You ever look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1? You ought to do your own personal study sometime. Got some shady characters in there. We all have a genealogy, but there's that one uncle that nobody wants to talk about. And then Aunt Mary had, you know, and then, hey, you skipped a year. (laughs) We don't want to talk about him. genealogy of Jesus we have David we all know that he was a murderer and an adulterer and he's a man whose hands were filled with so much blood that God would not allow him to build a temple he was a bad dude and then there was Rahab <laughs> she's in the genealogy of Jesus See, if men had written this Bible, it would have had all these clean, pristine people in there. No, God just tells it the way it is because it's by grace. It's by grace. Rahab's in there. Who was Rahab? She was a prostitute in Jericho. And how about Solomon? Hugh Hefner had nothing on Solomon. (laughs) Amen. He was a womanizer to the max. All in the genealogy of Jesus. And through all of their failures, the faithfulness of God brought about the birth of the Messiah. How much more is God able to work through your failures? Amen. How much more is he able to create something beautiful out of the ashes of your life? I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, Paul writes there, I said, grace makes for strange bedfellows. He says in verse 9, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. There's a lot of people in the church today who are deceived. A lot of main, mainline denominations have been deceived. He says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus And by the spirit of our God. Paul could get up and go to the Gentiles because not because he's qualified. He was justified. 
He was qualified because he was justified, I should say. God justified him. The old description that preachers use everywhere, and that is justified. What does it mean? Just as if I had never sinned. And therefore, if you are in Christ, you've been justified. Amen. No matter what your former life has been, you've been justified. And I might add, even as a believer, some believers who struggle with some of these things, if they put their faith in Jesus Christ, he has justified you. And so therefore, don't allow the enemy to silence you, to shut your mouth, because you speak not because you've earned the right to speak or you deserve the right to speak, but because you've been justified through Jesus Christ to tell your story. Paul was justified to go to the Gentiles and tell his story. God used him. Grace makes for strange bedfellows. In conclusion today, in the time in which we live, my friend, it's not the time for timidity. It's another word for fear. Paul writing to Timothy said, God has not given us a spirit of fear. The Greek word for fear It can also be translated timidity. God has not called you to have a timid faith. But he's given us a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. To be a witness for him. To testify of the things that we have heard and we have seen. When Christ is our Savior, silence is (laughs) irrational. Silence is irrational. If Christ has touched you impacted your life you've had an encounter with his love you've been transformed by the power of his grace silence is irrational it doesn't make sense we believe that well i have a personal private faith <laughs> it ain't the faith jesus gave you it's public he wants us to witness to everyone to be a witness for him you have a right to say so You have a right to open your mouth because you've been justified in Christ. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Are you redeemed today? Then open your mouth and refuse to be silent. Thanks for catching today's episode of Pastor Al Pittman's teaching on the CWCCS podcast. If you haven't already, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if this message hit home for you, share it with a friend. You can also support this ministry and these free teachings by visiting cwccs.org and click on Give. While you're there, you can also find the full archive of teachings from Pastor Al Pittman by clicking on the sermons link. That's cwccs.org. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.